Welcome to Propagate, where we grow in community by multiplying healthy groups through the ministry of the Word. This is a podcast by growth group leaders for growth group leaders. Thanks for joining us today. Here are your hosts. Hello, growth group leaders, and welcome to this week of Propagate. My name is Josh Smith. This is Zach Dietrich. And this week we are doing a first ever of its kind book breakdown. We're going to be talking about a book. And now every single one of you is not surprised at all because Zach and I just absolutely love talking about books. Yeah, I feel like Uh, there was a little bit of a joke played on me with this whole thing, though, because I know that I'm always like, hey, I have a book that you should read. Hey, I have a book you should read. And I'm just like always telling people to read. And then Josh... You walk up to me and you're like, hey, you have to read this book. I'm like, no, that's what I do. (laughs) But I did it and I read a book. So, And uh, I was better for it. It helped me wrestle through some things. Um, But what we're going to do throughout this episode is we're going to talk about a book that Zach and I just read recently. But before we get into that, I want to let you know what this podcast is not and what it is. So this episode in particular, this book breakdown, this is not a ploy to get you to get more books. So while Zach and I do do that all the time, tell you what books to buy and uh, and uh, what books to read, this is not one of those situations. We're not going to tell you that you need to go out and buy these books. And uh, this also isn't an endorsement of everything that we read in the book, which if you are right, and we should um, books that we should read books that we disagree with. Yeah, yeah. So if, um, if you are a a student of the word and a a learner in general, you need to be reading books that you disagree with and formulating the reasons as to why. Yeah. Uh, uh, so instead, what we are going to do in this episode is we are going to interact with published group leaders in the broader evangelical world. We're going to take books that have been written. We're going to um, discuss them, what we agree with, what we disagree with, and use it as a platform for teaching about growth groups rather than simply trying to get you to go out and and buy all these books. And so the topic that we're going to be talking about will be small group ministry. So it's not going to be uh, Zach and Josh talking about like the latest theological debate. So this would be particularly about the area of growth groups. And uh, as we go through uh, these these different podcasts where we break down books, we're going to ask a handful of questions of them, uh, like, what's the book? Why does it matter? We're going to give an overview of the book. We'll be asking, how applicable is the book to growth groups in your church? What are things churches should ignore from this book? Or what can you do in light of it? Finally, we'll rate the book, and we will also ask the question, should growth group leaders read this book? This week, I think the answer for both of us to that would be, no, no, but uh, yeah, you don't need to to read this book that we're we're talking about. So why should we actually talk about it then? We should talk about this book because it will help us formulate why we do things in uh, growth groups the way we do, and it will uh, help us interact with some of the things we don't do and why why we don't do those oh, things. Uh, so the book you might be asking. What is it? And Zach, what book did we read recently? So the book is Small Groups for the Rest of Us by Chris Surratt. Small Groups for the Rest of Us. The subtitle is How to Design Your Small Group System to Reach 
the fringes. So we're going to open up. What's this book, Zach, and why does it matter? The book is actually really well titled. It is Small Groups for the Rest of Us. And what Chris does is he just tells the story of his own lifelong and ministry-long involvement within small group ministry and gives both a uh, bird's eye view and then a a very practical um, storytelling approach to what growth groups have looked like in his church. And the audience, uh, maybe... I mean, if there was a, a miss, if there was a problem with the title, small groups for the rest of us might mean that it's for everybody else. But we would we would read it and think that it really is a primary audience is for growth group directors, uh, for people like Josh and I. Right, which is one of the reasons why we would say you don't necessarily have to go out and read this book. Um, this is more of the overall systems and structures for growth groups on a macro level throughout the church rather than the ins and outs of practical group ministry. But um, those two things do feed one another. The system feeds the, the actual group. And the way groups are done actually feeds the the systems as well. So while we discuss this book, the purpose of it is so that growth group directors can organize an overall group's structure that intentionally reaches out to everyone, including the, the people who typically wouldn't get, get involved in groups. Uh, one of the chapters talks about this and We'll get to it. Mo- yeah, if, if I had to say that, later, like, what, what's the strength of the book? I'd probably say that right there as like as that as an awareness that you have to have systems or you have to have a way that reach out reaches out to everybody. Because there That's are, good, yeah. Because there are, uh, there's no structure that is going to make everybody uh, happy, right? There's no structure that is going to be able to to reach every single person because people are so um, varied and they have so many different things going on. Let's go ahead and just give a quick summary of the book and work through some key points of this. Uh, I'm going to try that again. Let's let's go ahead and work through a quick summary of the book, and we'll just highlight some key takeaways. Uh, Chris begins by talking about this in chapter one, small groups are weird, and immediately he had me because uh, while we have them uh, as a growth group director, I always hear the weird stories about things that are going on, and he just uh, leads out with that. So he recognizes that small groups are just... Uh, strange. One of my favorite quotes in the book is actually the very first two sentences in this chapter where he said, let's go ahead and get this out of the way from the beginning. To the normal church outsider, small groups are weird. Those of us who are tasked with convincing people in our churches that joining a small group is something they should do have an uphill battle. Right. So what is, um, why does that resonate with you, Zach? Uh, well, uh, because we've all had awkward experiences with it, and we need to be uh, sometimes lower the bar for what groups are are like, and maybe even en- embrace the weirdness. He actually says this later. He says in, in chapter one, the secret sauce of a small group. Or the, he actually says this in chapter one. This is the secret. That is the secret sauce of a small group. When we help create environments where messed up people like us are able to look at each other and say, you too, that's referring to a quote by C.S. Lewis, it frames the message of the gospel in a whole new way. Suddenly people understand grace in a context they never knew before. It doesn't matter what circumstances are that brought them to this place. It only matters that someone understands. And that is incredibly important because... uh No growth group director has it all together. No growth group leader has it all together. No growth group member has it all together. But when we come into groups, sometimes we put up this facade of of, um, 
sanctification where we want people to think we're better than we actually are. And uh, one of the reasons for growth groups and one of the goals of having a successful growth group is having the right amount of uh, transparency that allows people to see they're not the only ones struggling in certain ways. And it is okay to struggle. Um, I think Matt Chandler once said, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. I like it. We go. He goes on in uh, chapter two, which is entitled "Reaching the Fringes," and this is really the heart of the book. Reaching the fringes. It's um. He he says if we truly believe everyone should be in groups, which as a growth groups director, I would say yes. Uh, I would love it if every single person in our church is involved in a growth group. We have to start thinking beyond typical church members who brave our connection systems to eventually sit in a stranger's living room. There are people on the fringes of our churches not currently being invited into community. He goes on and lists different types of people who might be, quote-unquote, on the fringes of our churches. So introverts, they might not typically want to be involved in growth groups because they get a lot of anxiety uh, from group settings. You have uh, men, and men are notoriously less committed to growth groups than than women are. You have the the least of these. That's what Jesus refers to in uh, some of his parables, reaching the least of these. And the least of these are the people who might not uh, be a normal church member because they might be homeless or they might be a single mom. They might be struggling in in some particular way. Uh, There are people in our churches who struggle with addictions and, and so on and so forth. And these people also need to have Christian community so that they might be sanctified. But it might be a little difficult to have them in groups here and there. Yeah. Chapter three uh, is titled Discipleship is the Goal. I appreciate this because Small groups can often uh, miss the mark. They can make community. They can make just feeling bad with one another the goal. But discipleship is the goal. And he makes the case that discipleship is effective in small groups because unlike classes that can arbitrarily put people at the same level, small groups allow us to meet people where they are and uh, embraces the messiness. And uh, the way they they do that is primarily through movement toward one another. Uh, this is why in our growth groups system, we want to be people who love God's people. And also they move toward mission together as, as groups. Uh, moving toward mission is incredibly important for discipleship because mission is the goal of discipleship. We can't put them in two different silos, but they feed one another, discipleship and mission. So um, our groups as well need to mirror that where our uh, growth group discussions need to be focused not simply on seeking to grow in our holiness, but using growth in holiness as a way of making the gospel known in our lives and in our communities. In chapter four, the title is called A Clean Slate. And this chapter is very much so devoted to your overall system of growth groups and how you get people involved in groups, what the groups look like. So we're not going to spend a ton of time focusing on this, but one of the most important things about it is that as growth group directors, and this was convicting for me, we need to put a little more effort into caring for and thanking our growth group leaders. Yeah, uh, reading a book like this just reminds us 
of what we know already, and that's the amazing sacrifices that our growth group leaders are making in the ministry. And uh, Chris just gives good ways to celebrate that. And, and that may, may, may take money, and it will most likely take some really good food, too. Oh, defi- definitely good food. Chapter 5 is on the search for leadership, and he just gives practical advice on recruiting and training. And so we would find a lot of similarities between what we do uh, within our ministry and maybe some ideas to tweak things as well. A lot of that is also focused on retaining people in new groups. And the the main goal of doing that is recruiting and training new leaders. This is something I've been uh, thinking about a lot recently, trying to figure out how to um, raise up new leaders from within our growth groups and being more intentional in that. In chapter six, he talks about connecting the crowd, and he he talks about um, getting people involved in growth groups, starting new growth groups, and um, how to start off a new group well. He talks about all church campaigns, um, which are for us here in in our context will be sermon based, and they will be tailored more toward the sermon series that is going on, and then having clear on and off ramps in in growth groups as well. Chapter 7, setting expectations and what a healthy group looks like. It's valuable to hear from other leaders what they expect in growth groups, both because it it firms what we, we've talked about, but then it might give us some ideas as well. So what do, what do they expect in their groups? Food. Uh, and they unashamedly really encourage meals or snacks together, and uh, we would as well. Perhaps someday we should do a whole episode on where food fits into small groups. But here's something else that he includes besides Bible study, talking, and prayer. He says that an expectation for small groups is laughter. When I visit a small group, he says, I can sense how healthy a small group is by how much laughter is in the room. Spiritual formation is not meant to be somber, boring exercise. That's safe for seminary. I don't like that. Uh, The tone of a fun starts with leaders. So I thought that was really good observation to add uh, for the expectation of our groups. And he also emphasizes the uh, sharing of responsibilities within growth groups. Uh, and uh, he says... And here Josh feels vindicated because he's like, yes. <laughs> we have the, Delegate all the, the different responsibilities that we've talked about numerous times in growth groups from prayer warrior to host to party planner, service organizer, all of these different uh responsibilities. And he says, leaders should be trained to delegate tasks such as food preparation, group emails, prayer requests, social outings, serving opportunities, and facilitating the discussions. Good leadership is not always about doing the work, but rather equipping others to do it with you, not for you, but to do it with you. And that's uh, another one of my favorite quotes from the book, He moves on to to chapter 8, and this is the last chapter of the book. Um, It's called Those Questions, where he addresses more of the practical ramifications of of groups, namely, what do we do about child care, or uh, should we split our group? How do we invite our neighbors? What if no one shows up to group? Uh, As I read these, many of you are probably thinking, oh, yep, we've we've struggled with each of those different things, because in my growth group, even as a growth groups director, I've struggled with 
each of those things. Um, and uh, a lot of the practical applications he gives in this chapter are, are helpful, uh, although they would need to be tweaked for, for our ministry. Um, long story short, what do we do about child care? Figure it out. Yeah, yep. <laughs> he gives a, a list of different ways, but childcare isn't a one-size-fits-all thing for for each group. How do we invite our neighbors? Um, throwing a block par- party, participating in Halloween, uh, hosting a movie on your lawn, uh, participating in neighborhood-sponsored events, and so on and so forth. What do you do if no one shows up? You you need to. Um, Try to add more people to your group and also communicate the importance of consistency yeah. and commitment to the group. That really moves us into the next question that we'll be asking about books as we read. And that's how is it applicable to the growth groups in our church? And what is really helpful is to hear the stories of what works and doesn't work at other places. We just gain wisdom uh, from that. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Or, oh, eh, I, I can, I'm not sure what I think about that. And for me, one of the the biggest things was practical helps for getting people involved in groups. Um, you have an example of that? Specifically, one of the ways he, he targets that is through raising up new leaders. Uh, it starts with training leaders to share the load of leadership with their small group members. And uh, from there, it goes to identifying people who could be group leaders and uh, sending them out from your group to start a new group with uh, people in in the church who are just joining and uh, seeking to be yeah, involved. Yeah. If, if I had um, to say what, that's, what's the most applicable thing uh, for the book, it would be uh, Chris's awareness that no one system will ever be sufficient and that you have to have multiple on-ramps into community And so as we think about ministry at our church, we want to be aware of that. We, yes, we want to have clear steps of discipleship, but we also want to make sure that we have multiple on-ramps in because not one system will always work. It's just, just, that's the way humans are. Yes. Uh, So another thing is that we can apply from this book is the serving opportunity structures. So we emphasize small groups serving within our church, and he does as well, but I I think he had a good idea about expanding that. Yes, he called them Serve Saturdays, where um, I've noticed recently that when service opportunities are promoted by the church at large, growth groups are more likely to participate in serving when those are more structured and so on and so forth. It doesn't mean growth groups aren't serving um, aren't serving by themselves. Some of them are, but there are some growth groups that are not. And if we, we truly do believe that uh, serve, groups that serve together stay together, then uh, as growth group directors, I need to do a, a better job of providing serving opportunities yeah, for so I think what groups. you're thinking and you've mentioned what that could look like is that as we as we have some structured service opportunities and groups find joy in participating in that they're probably going to be more likely to go out and exercise their gifts uh, organically within the community yes yes that's yeah, exactly so that, right that's, that's that's good so what are things churches should ignore from this book zach yeah so I got to be honest, as I read the book, while I enjoyed the storytelling of it, the further I got into it, I became uncomfortable with the 
maybe what I would call the difference between just storytelling and an overemphasis upon technique. And I just am concerned with that uh, with throughout many small group books these days. I, I personally wouldn't necessarily like his coaching structure that he sets up. Right. So his coaching structure is uh, it's voluntary and it's not something by which pastors are actually getting to know and involved in the lives of yeah, the and, people and, within their yeah, group. That's good. That, so he said, what is it in particular? It's that uh, it's that the layers of separation between the called leadership of the church and people uh, becomes too distant and too unclear. Right. So in our coaching structure for growth groups, the pastors meet with group, growth group leaders on a monthly basis to uh, troubleshoot things that are going on in their groups, provide extra training and continued uh, training for how to lead groups, and also to check in on each individual person within the groups so that uh, they're that growth group leaders aren't a boundary between pastors and people, but facilitate connection between pastors and people. Um, in their model, the pastors don't directly reach out to the individual members of the groups, and instead, the growth group lead the the group leaders just um, do that themselves, and in doing so become functional pastors without necessarily meeting the qualifications. Right. And he, he feels totally comfortable with that, and I'm just not. Like, he feels totally comfortable with, like, an island of, of ministries that connects on Sundays somewhat. And to be fair, maybe I mean, I've read most of the book twice now, um, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting it. I mean, he might say something different if he were to, to talk to us. Another thing I'm concerned with in the book is the way he is not moving his church toward a strong ecclesiology or toward a strong, uh, what I would see as a, a biblical pattern for church structure, leadership structure within the, the church. So to give an example, and he said, says this, and I went back and reread it a few times. I'm not quite sure I, I understood his point, but he contrasted small group ministries with church membership and went so far as to say church membership is no longer the core of the church, but small groups are. And, and maybe I, I just wasn't fully understanding that. And in his case, it feels like small groups become a tool to allow them to scale up the size of their ministry uh, in order to keep up growth. In his case, perhaps around at that time, the personality of a senior pastor. And my fear is that a book like this unintentionally fuels that quasi-Catholic hierarchical system where we have hopes of personality rather than strong ecclesiology and and local shepherds around local bodies. And to go a little deeper into that, um, in the the Catholic Church structure, you have popes, and they're ahead over the archbishops, over the bishops, over the the clergy uh, and the priests on in the normal churches. So, um, in this is our hot take for this episode. There is a movement within a lot of uh, good gospel preaching churches to have what is called multi-site churches, where you have one pastor over the um, over various local churches across the nation. And in particular, this church is a multi-site church where the leadership of one of the churches is over the leadership of all of the others. And it has functionally become a 
what is called a Catholic or uh, hierarchical kind of church governance. And my fear is that it's less because of its evangelical free church roots, it has less accountability than what a denominational structure would be. Yes, and uh, that's uh, have. that's uh, one of the reasons why we have structured our coaching structure in the way we do, because we don't want it to. Uh, we don't want to become a church that is in charge of tons of other churches. We want to be a church that partners with other churches, yes, but we also want to have pastors and deacons, and those are the only offices within the congregation. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So overall, Zach, what can you do, what can we do, or what can growth group leaders do this week in light of the book? Well, we just said you don't have to read it. We, we right. did that. We did that for you. Uh, embrace the messiness. Uh, embrace the messiness of growth groups and accept the fact that the sanctification that's growing into Christ likeness is the goal, and it happens over a long time in really messy conversations. And uh, along with that, also embrace the significance of growth groups yep. because what you do as a growth group leader is invaluable to the ministry of the local church um, because we are we want to be people who love God's people. You can only do that in community with other believers. And that one of the expressions of that is through growth groups. Uh, so embrace yep. that. Also, I would say that we should... Uh, we should. We need to be aware of the fact that not every system will work for every person. So when it comes to inviting people, recruiting people, or multiplying your uh, small groups, we need to be ready to have multiple ways to do that. And uh, across the board, numerous group books uh, all agree on this. Um, the best way in which people get involved into groups and the mo- is the most natural way. And that's when growth group members and growth group leaders are basically being unscheduled greeters on Sunday mornings. They're going up to people they don't know and uh, asking them who they are, getting to know them, building those relationships, but then also inviting those people into growth groups. If growth groups are a primarily relational kind of kind of group where people are growing in their relationship together around the word and around uh, prayer, then relationship needs to be the start of, of group growth groups as well. Yeah, that's good. So if you had to rate the book, how would you rate this book? Uh, I would probably give it a five or a six. Seems um, like a cop out, but that's okay. Go for it. <laughs> because I, 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 there are certain things I agree with and was benefited from in the book, but overall there are the the coaching and polity structures created a lot of issues that needed to be overcome, in my opinion, and yeah. that wouldn't translate well into a growth groups model. So I would give it a five or six because there were helpful helpful tools in it, but by and large the overall structure that he. Um, that he advocates for, I would uh, disagree. Yeah, with. and I'd, I'd I'd be there with you, and I'd break that that down a little bit. And if I could give it different categories, I would say I'd give it a seven, probably a seven plus, from the standpoint of it being a short, accessible book that coaches or pastors could read and quickly glean from. But then the overemphasis upon technique and the red flags for polity for me personally 
and even some of their content within growth groups, I would give it a two or three. So it'd balance out at that. Should growth group leaders read this book? Nah. 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 Should growth group uh, pastors or senior pastors read it? Yeah, yeah. It might, it'd be worthwhile. I'm not, not going to speak against it in that way. Read through it, uh, wrestle with it, uh, and chew up the fish, spit out the bones. It's good. Thank you for joining us today on Propagate, where we grow in community by multiplying healthy groups through the ministry of the word. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Propagate is a ministry of Soteria Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. To learn more, visit SoteriaDSM.com today.